This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Momwell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Stephanie Kramer to the show. Stephanie is the Chief Human Resources Officer at L'Oreal USA, and she is the debut author of a book called Carrie Strong, An Empowered Approach to Navigating Pregnancy and Work. Stephanie is joining us today to challenge the way we view working while pregnant and to introduce her five principles of navigating pregnancy while at work. And she also leaves us with some coping strategies on ways to navigate this really intense and emotional stage of life. Whether in the trying to conceive phase or the kind of lockdown, having not told anyone phase yet, or whether fully showing and preparing to offboard and go on leave, there is something in this conversation for everybody on how to manage these high stress, high stakes times. Let's break some of the stigma of talking about pregnancy at work and listen in on my conversation with Stephanie. Going back to work after having a baby can be tough. There's the endless to-do list of choosing childcare, preparing bottles, and navigating pickups and drop-offs. But there's also an emotional load that feels even harder to cope with. We might experience separation anxiety, pressure to do it all with ease, and of course, the infamous mom guilt. It can seem impossible to navigate our emotions and feel confident at work and at home. But with the right strategies, we can learn to manage our emotions, reframe our thoughts, and cope with the transition back to work. I created a mini course called Emotionally Preparing to Return to Work After Baby to give you the tools you need. In this course, we'll cover how to identify negative thinking traps, how to reframe and rewrite our thoughts about going back to work, how to manage working mom guilt, how to cope with separation anxiety, and how to let go of the pressure to be and do it all at home and at work. Each lesson is short, action-focused, and easily digestible. It's created with busy moms in mind. It's time to take control of your emotions and approach the transition to work with confidence. To learn more, head to momwell.com slash shop. That's momwell.com slash shop. Welcome to the MomWell Podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I think your media kit and book release came across my desk from your publisher. And as soon as I saw the project, I was so excited to have you on. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Erica, for everything you've created at MomWell. It's amazing. It's so resonant with the mission of the book and just really grateful that you've created such an amazing space. I love the story of how a book came together because 
the labor of love that goes into creating it and getting it to this stage of publication, you know, it comes from clearly an experience in yourself that must have ignited some passionate course down this direction, right? So Carrie Strong talking about being empowered at work with your pregnancy and even your trying to conceive journey. Tell me about how this book came about. So, you know, for me, the book has been, it is really a labor of love, exactly as you said. You know, 10 years ago, I was pregnant, then not pregnant, then pregnant, then not pregnant. And so, you know, lots of moms will know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And then from that point, I think I became very hyper aware of the impact of trying to conceive and then getting pregnant, including at work. And so from that point, so literally 10 years ago, my older son is about to turn nine. I really paid attention. And anytime that someone at work or when I was teaching at FIT or, you know, friends of friends were having any kind of positive and negative experiences, I kind of felt like I was a good resource, but always behind closed doors. And so, you know, anytime I was on a podcast or I had a chance to speak, I tried to figure out a way to bring in motherhood in the, the good, the bad, and the neutral as part of the topics to share. But then, you know, three years ago, like so many of us, I saw, you know, the bellies going to work during the pandemic and just Mm. the power that came from that. And I often talk about an image that I saw. Her name is Mandy Truo, and she is a uh, nurse from St. Louis, and her story is in my book. And I saw this picture of her, and she had all her PPE on, and she was breastfeeding on a birthing ball. And I thought, Mm. wow, how damn strong. Yeah. And from that point, I was like, okay, there's all this closed behind door kind of advice that's given. There's my own personal experiences. There's these amazing women. If I feel this way, what can I do to help? Like, how can I help to create a groundswell of support? So then I started to write some research to validate kind of some of the insights and create new ones. And then I started to do interviews concurrently with amazing women across the country in two ways. One, that they're experts, but also their personal stories. Mm -hmm. And the result is the book. But three years kind of a side project, but late at night, (laughs) 11 o'clock at night to two o'clock in the morning. My husband said that the other day when someone has asked me about it. And I was like, yep, that's how I wrote the book. Right. Trying to manage motherhood, your career, writing a book. Yes. Yeah. I was going through and reviewing it and then I have the book here for the interview. And reflecting back on my own experience, I remember with my first, you know, like everything with your first is like more anxiety provoking. And I was fortunate to not have any fertility issues. I actually kind of stumbled upon being pregnant sort of before we had planned, but we were married and I'm open to it and all the things. I just remember my world changing in like an instant and then going to work feeling like I couldn't share this thing that was happening in my life. But everything felt like it was like turned upside down kind of overnight. So I'd had to be this like calm, cool sort of duck collected above the water. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, my stomach is churning. I've got all of these sort of existential shifts kind of coming my way. And like how unrealistic of us to expect this compartmentalization of ourselves. It's truly a problem, I think, that you're striking on because we navigate some of our most difficult times, you know, pregnancy, loss, miscarriage, even just the preparation and the adjustment in our work environment with our colleagues and with our peers. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because it's this silent but really important moment and you struggle with it personally. Like how much do you want to share and how much do you don't? And I think especially in the past three years, more and more we're encouraging people to bring their whole selves to work. 
But often when I hear that, I'm like, because you aren't bringing your whole self to work, it takes a tremendous amount of energy also to cover that. Right. So, you know, it's really important that we kind of lift off that burden together in the way that people feel comfortable, but we're going to continue to work. We're going to continue to have babies. So, you know, let's flip the script and have it be at least a comfortable and, you know, confident conversation that happens in your day. And it's a really big deal. And it's something to celebrate. And I think we forget that part too. There's all the tough parts, but there's also these really positive moments that we can share with each other in a different way. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think loss and joy. Yeah. As you said, we'll get into that as we get into more of the phases and things, I'm sure. So I got more stories coming up, but I'll share them in a little (laughs) bit. But tell us how you open the book with the five principles, five carry strong principles. Let's unpack those. Sure. So, you know, the book is in two parts. There's five principles in five phases. And the reason why these principles, I thought, you know, you don't have to be pregnant in order to read this book. You can someday or be curious about it or have it on your mind, but these principles actually can help you no matter what phase you're in of your journey to working motherhood or just journey into motherhood in general. So the five phases are perspective, balance, community, communication, and identity. Even when you were just speaking about your own story, those are very resonant topics. And in fact, beyond pregnancy as a moment, they're really important in general when you think about the way you work as a person. So, you know, perspective, if we always go into the conversation with the headline of pregnancy is a career killer, well, you're going to be carrying a burden before you even start. Or in fact, the fact that you could get pregnant can have an impact on you as a woman, even if you actually don't want children. So how do we help to Mm. shift and understand that perspective? So I call it kind of like the unburdening. And then the next one is balance. And I always get asked the question, I'm sure you get asked the question all the time, and I've heard some of your guests speak about it, but the not disillusioned reality of balance. (laughs) So, you know, Mm -hmm. I take a more fluid approach between work and life. You know, you're giving a whole lot of credit to work if it's trying to keep it in this perfect, I imagine a seesaw, like trying to get a seesaw of the two is, it's not realistic. Mm -hmm. But if you shift and you slide during your day in a more fluid approach, then you can kind of free yourself a little bit from always striving for something unattainable. I really loved your perspective on this as I went through this section because balance is like one of those hot button topics, kind of like when I ask moms what they're really needing when they go back to work, it's like, oh, work-life balance. And I don't know about you, but I have yet to find what that looks like because much like what you described, different things just take priorities at different times for me. Yeah, And that's not to say that my family is ever like not a priority. Right. But if I have revisions for the book to turn around in two weeks, well, everything, you know, within my focus is going to carve that out. And then additional family experiences or fulfilling family values will just wait until that deadline is passed. And then we'll make those back top of the list. And it is kind of a ever moving fluid system, as you described. Yeah, it's like a constant sorting. And by the way, it can be in a day, you can have that sorting happening. It can be in a week. It can be even in a longer time period, but you have to kind of recognize the seasons. Yeah. And it gives you more permission. If you're always chasing, trying to find balance, then that's taking a tremendous amount of energy too. So, you know, one thing that I write about in the book is like, instead of FOMO, you have COMO, which I heard from someone in a training one time, which is like certainty of missing out instead of fear of missing out. Mm. So the combination of being more fluid and also giving yourself some permission that you're not always, you know, missing out on something, but like 
Uh, we are having this conversation right now. So I am not right now. It's a bus stop pickup. It's okay. Right. You know, if I'm yeah. having a really awesome moment at work and crushing it with my team, that's all right too. And that's a good thing. And that doesn't mean that I can't be a great mom in other moments or that I don't have other people around me that can allow that system to support it. So I feel like it's the permission that we need for ourselves. And obviously we need society as well. Mm-hmm. I think that piggybacking off of that is the mom guilt that often comes yeah. for not being able to be at the bus stop or on the field trip. I tell this story about an experience that I had where I was slotted to speak at some mom conference and there was 1,500 people attending virtually. I'm in the green room waiting to go on with a panel and they call thinking my son has broke his arm at school. And I'm just like, of course. Right. He did. Like, of course, this is the moment. Of course. Right now. Right. Right. And I have my partner working from home who had the flexibility to go and take him for an x-ray and make sure everything was okay. But everything about how I envisioned other people viewing me or saying to me or how, you know, I felt like I would be judged or I felt like I had to be the one. It should be me. All these like shoulds and pressures came out. Yep. And it was like, it has to be, it has to be me. I have to be the one. Needless to say, dad took him. He was great. They got like a treat on the way home. No bones were broken. I got to do my event and the world continued to spin on its axis without me dropping everything. Right. But the guilt and the sort of rethinking and talking ourselves through these situations that we have to do in order to allow for the fluid priorities, I think, take some inner work sometimes. I agree. I, I think that even the word allow Alyssa Rayner, you know, is quoted in the book saying like, allow, like allow yourself to have that. It's really tough though. It's easier said than done. And I think sometimes it's also the choice that we have to make between what we want to do and what we have to do. Mm, yeah. That's really tough, you know, and, and with our children, like communicating that it can be tricky. Yeah. Even for me, like when I go for a run or when I have a work trip, I'm really thoughtful also in the way that I say it to my kids to also encourage them that they're allowed to have other things that bring them joy too, besides even time with me. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's kind of sad that it, this is novel. You know, when I go for a run, it's not like, I'll miss you. It's like, no, I'm going to get strong because I like to be strong. You know, yes, it's to be strong for you and take care of you and take care of my family. And, you know, self-care is not selfish, but also like, it's okay for me to take care of myself, just like it's okay for you to take care of yourself or play by yourself if you want to, instead of being with me. and But it's tough. So sometimes I, I encourage women, like, what advice would you also give your kids or your friends or your peers when you're telling them, like, you've got to have the same peace? And it gives others permission. That's a positive, too. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, Making phone calls to book appointments? It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. 
Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Yeah, it makes me think about in, I believe it's the next one, which is communication. I will take this analogy with me now for the rest of my life talking about this like boardroom of your sort of advisors and yes. in, in terms of your your life and your parenting as somebody who is now a tech startup and finally in some of this space you know it gave a whole new level of understanding to the importance at which who we surround ourselves with and their opinions and their guidance how much it matters and i think my observation at least is what happens is the people who are sort of sitting at the boardroom table weighing in on our lives and and correct this analogy if I'm misrepresenting it at all and expand on it, please, is like they were sort of slotted there by, you know, maybe relation to us in our lives and maybe family members or had sort of self-elected or been just slotted in without consciously deciding like, does this person align with my values? Do they align with my perspective on parenting? Do they align with the goals I have for myself and for my family and and see things from the same perspective that I do? So that gave me a whole new level of insight. I loved that piece. And you know, one thing that's really important with that curation of that board of directors is that they're not all emeritus status. You know, some of those people, it's like, you have to constantly curate that. Some people might be your board of directors for years. Like I have someone for me that has known me in so many different capacities of my career and my personal life. And there's others that you're like, you know what, right now, this is really important to me. And it's a different brain that I need to have be part of my decision-making or my support system. But in this like close proximity way, which I think can be really helpful too. It's like, okay, we have the people that have different views than us. There's a similar, but also it's okay if maybe their board rotation is complete (laughs) as well. Yeah. And I think that that probably happens for a lot of us when we shift into parenthood Mm -hmm. from our more individual lives. Like if I think of a pivotal moment where I would be swapping people out there, it would be how so much shifted when I became a parent. I feel like my personal experience, at least, is so many of my values shifted. And 
even my work and my focus shifted. Everything kind of went in a bit of a different direction. So that would have been a pivotal kind of clean up <laughs> the, yeah. the seed situation for right. me where I needed other perspectives and other opinions in place. Absolutely. And when you get it, you feel that boost that comes from having it. When you don't, you feel the deficit or maybe you don't even realize that that's what it's coming from. And then, you know, in those moments of major identity shifts, you need that other thought partner to help sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else for communication there? I think, you know, there's also so much about listening because I think, you know, communication we often jump to, which is super important and advocacy, like what do you want to say? What's important to you? You know, women in these very pivotal life moments, including during pregnancy and work or return to work, parenthood, you need to have a moment of advocacy. It's so important. But part of the other side of communication is listening. So I think for all Mm -hmm. of us, you know, if we want to flip the script, it's how are we listening to those that are asking for help to make it easier for them and to follow their lead, you know, not trying to anticipate what someone may want just because I went through something doesn't mean that someone else wants it to be done the same way. So I feel like Mm -hmm. every time I give it advice on advocating for what you need and how to to deal with um, critical or difficult conversations, I always also say the other side, which is like, listen to listen, don't listen to reply, you know, ask people, what do you need from me right now? Do you need a mentor? Do you need an ally? Do you need me to do something or just need me me to listen? Mm -hmm. Am I just here to, you know, be a friend or be a board of directors member? But that's for me like a really important part of communication, especially in these pivotal life moments like during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking here and I think that I had uh, misrepresented that. I think that's in community and then communication, you break down these pieces. And then the fifth one was identity. Yes. And identity, this chapter was the hardest chapter to write. You know, for me personally, I had already thought through a lot of perspective. It was kind of like, okay, this is important. I want to bring a different perspective with the book. You know, I want to have it be the good, the bad, and the neutral. And I wanted to kind of give everyone a a balanced approach. Balance, you know, as you said, like we all talk about work-life balance all the time. And then even communication and community, I recognize those were things that a lot of people talk about. But identity is tricky. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to even describe, you know. And fortunately, through the stories of the women in the book, and by the way, from my own experience, you know, it's not the same for everyone. Some people, it feels like a light switch. You know, my identity totally Mm -hmm. shifted either the day I got pregnant or the day that I had my child. And other people, it's this gradual feeling or matriescence that happens. Mm -hmm. Or it's also, as you mentioned with you, like your purpose shifts. So how do you reevaluate that purpose and make it even more all-encompassing or not? And you're just resolute on your purpose and this is just another dimension. But for me, it was a difficult chapter, but I think it's one of my favorite of the whole book and definitely had a catharsis (laughs) that happened with it as well. I think for many people I've discussed it with. Yeah. I found that after each child Well, I got to take leave 12 months here in Toronto, which I know I'm fortunate to be able to have. And every single time without fail, I would have this like existential, like, do I really want to go back to work? Am I really passionate about what I'm doing? There's just something about these shifts and adding an addition to your family that kind of brings you to this existential space of just questioning, you know, is this what I want? And does this serve my family? Does this serve me? And I went through it with each child. Like I definitely, that first time mom shifted identity was probably the largest in terms of the changes. 
But I went through that same sort of questioning and reflecting after each one in a, in a similar way, I would say, actually. Yeah, I, I remember being in my closet, you know, and just staring at the clothes, trying to figure out what to wear to work. Like, it's the most basic, simple thing, but kind of the, who am I? What am I doing? What I'm rushing and I'm leaving my baby. But on the other hand, I'm like picking out like, you know, I, I have these things I want to achieve. And it's a funny thing because your brain goes back and forth. I'm the same person, you know, this is who I am. It's one dimension or this is my everything. And you have to kind of find for you where that balance point settles. And by the way, it changes, of course, too. But I just remember like staring, I can visualize myself staring and, and thinking about that, like, who am I? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And one of the things I feel like I questioned a lot, bringing it back to the work piece is like taking three consecutive maternity leaves. I had three boys in the span of three and a half years. So I spent maybe a total of six months at work sort of in between them. And so I felt like as an A type who knew nothing but academics and working and school to be thrown into the day to day, often sort of monotonous role right. of mothering I didn't know how to unhook myself from that identity. Like it got put on pause, but at the time I didn't know it was a pause. At the time I was like, oh my gosh, does this take over everything? Am I ever going to regain that part of myself again? So I think for those who are maybe A-type or really have been super career focused or have seen themselves in a very sort of rigid or particular way to find themselves in this other space can feel a little bit rocky or just unsettling or different. Yeah, you're seeking that feeling of being myself. I remember going for a run after being cleared from my physicians, after having my second son and going fast down a hill. Mm. It was a moment where I, and I, again, it's like I can flash to exactly that hill (laughs) and where I was in New York, but running down that hill and going fast and feeling I was in my body because there's the part of it yeah. that's who am I in my brain, but there's also part of it of who am I in my body, which is very powerful too. And you have this responsibility mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful responsibility, but it's there and it doesn't change. You know, sometimes with work every once in a while, we can kind of be like, okay, this is someone else's responsibility, or I can put this, you know, on pause a little bit or lower it in its priority. But with your family, you know, you don't. So combination of mm-hmm. who am I in my brain? Who am I in my body? And then on top of it, I have this responsibility that is powerful and it's super powerful. Yeah. And I feel like the calibration can happen where all, if you get all th- three of those things that feel good, you're in a great place, but very often, you know, they don't line up together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's great. I hear a lot of moms talk about how they feel like their body has become like a utility right. in the postpartum phase. This particularly gets spoken about when we're talking about like intimacy postpartum and, you know, wanting to engage with our partners and just feeling like we're touched out and and our body doesn't feel like our own in that way, as you said. And then if we feel like we've lost the learning parts of ourselves or creative parts of ourselves, curious parts. But I love the emphasis on it being a season. I don't think I had that perspective. I definitely didn't the first time around that, that I would come out of that. And I would encourage those who are listening that Uh, It may feel all encompassing for a time, but as you start to, whether it's return back to work or work your way out of some of these stages, you definitely reclaim those pieces of yourself again, the ones that you want to. And then there's other pieces that you might be done with and that's okay. And that's the part that I love. It's like you have this opportunity to, you know, have these new pieces and to, to let go of some of the other ones. You definitely get a perspective change, you, which is, you know, it can be jarring, but it also can be very freeing. And for me personally, you know, I, I certainly feel like I had 
a very heavy perfectionist mindset. And then guess what? Yeah, you can't like, it's just not possible. Right. You know, I, I couldn't get rid of the jaundice that my son had for, you know, up a month and a half post delivery. Like you can't, it's just impossible. Right. And the rest of the things don't matter. And all that mattered is the care of my child. And in fact, you know, for me, it's um, been very freeing to have that. And how much does everything need to be an A plus or sometimes like a solid B is fantastic. Like that's great. Give the right level of effort to the right thing. So you make space for everything that matters instead of always trying to overperform on everything. In fact, if you calibrate what you need to do at that level, you have more time for, you know, um, other things too. Yeah, I completely agree. Feeling the need to go 100% in all directions. And I think that that's something that those who are listening who are working moms, you know, work like you don't mother and mother like you don't work. This idea that we're expected to be 100% in all areas all of the time. And that is a recipe for burnout. And it's not possible. And it sets us up to feel like we're failing, carrying that mindset where I think that that fluidity that we were talking about before also plays a role here, right? Like where Mm -hmm. our focus goes and, and our energy to what degree. But Yeah, I felt like before motherhood with this perfectionist nature also that I have, you can control so much more. Like maybe if we felt like we could control more whether we actually could or not, right? Like, but there were fewer variables that were outside of our control. And so when you enter into, like you said, like whether it's a health concern or whether it's infertility and going through these cycles and paces of trying to get pregnant and keep a pregnancy or trying to figure out feeding and navigate feeding or even birth and how it plays out. Like there are so many things that will just rock that perfectionism in us. And it is hard and yet the most freeing thing I've ever been through to be able to get out the other side of that place. And my life is so much more colorful and free as a result of that. Yes, absolutely. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed, but the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirina Reem's Psyched Mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create All the Rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, 
how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code RAGE20. Okay, so were those our five? Those were our five principles, right? So those are the five principles. Yeah. If we'll maybe, oh my gosh, I could talk to you all day. We have some time <laughs> to go through them, but I'm loving the little side steps that we're taking. So talk to me about the phases that women go through in the workplace in regards to pregnancy and motherhood. Sure. So for me, it was really important. I think this is a Sesame Street thing, by the way, So <laughs> where you name something. And if you name something, you can get your hands around it a little bit. So for me, you know, pregnancy and work in particular isn't delineated by trimesters that are happening. I define it as five phases. It's like BTTC, so pre-preconception, which the time is not what matters. You know, I, I did one of my studies with college-age women. And one out of two women said that, in fact, they had thought about parenthood with deciding their major. You know, they hadn't been asked before, by the way, because I did some focus groups after to like identify. I was like, that's a lot, like one out of two. For me, I think, though, if I would have been asked that question, I would have said yes. Mm. But I don't know if anybody would have asked me. So it was really interesting. So I try to start at, you know, BTTC, but also mm-hmm. it could be, you know, a lot of women feel a lot of pressure to have a discussion about family, including career, when they get engaged or when they get married. Like, where's that support to just understand even early career? What's the type of company you want, by the way, and play on words with both the organizations that you want to be part of or also the people that you want around you? Yeah. You know, what are you looking for? So that's important. And if you start the conversation then, then it's a whole lot better than when you're, you know, trying to conceive or already physically pregnant and trying to decide the impact on your career. So I, I try to extend it a little bit to the BTCC. Then the next phase is trying to conceive, so the TTC. So I used a lot of like, um, you know, the shorthand that's used in old school message boards and motherhood sites, but the TTC is the threshold is when you're trying to get pregnant. So you're in this mm-hmm. before phase and then you're like, okay, we're going to try. And same staggering number of, of my first study, one out of two women said that trying to conceive, not yet being physically pregnant had an impact on work. And I feel like, you know, Anyone who's gone through it is like, yeah, of course it does. You know, you're thinking Mm -hmm. about it, even if it's just the timing that you're thinking about or you're looking ahead on your calendar, or if you're physically having to schedule appointments, or if you have a job that has restrictions that you need to consider with what you can do physically because you're either Mm -hmm. trying or physically pregnant. But for me, this was a big aha. And in fact, I remember having a conversation with my editor about the fact you could be pregnant for five years at work and not have a baby. And that Mm, is a pretty big deal and I think deserves a closer look. From that, okay, so now you get the the big positive. And the next phase is called the hush. And one of the most powerful moments that so many women talked about was this precious secret. So you're super excited. Yeah. You know, it's something you, whether it happens right away (laughs) or it took a long time, it's still like, oh my gosh, okay, this happened. I am now pregnant. And it's like something happens. 
But it also, for some people, they tell people right away and they're very comfortable with that. Others, for me personally, and for some people, you know, you're at like 20 weeks plus and you're, you have a, this very tenuous feeling that's this joy, but sometimes it can feel really heavy to navigate the hush. And in fact, that's also obviously the time period. The reason why people do that is often because of fear. And that can be because of, you know, pregnancy loss or fear of perception or just general fear about identity. So that moment for me was really important to support women through stories, experts and research in this hush time. And just to name it, you yeah. know, just saying like, oh, my gosh, I totally get that. And then the push, which is public pregnancies, you know, many women had the stories of the one day that they're not pregnant at work and like the next day they say it. <laughs> or for me, I like wore a tight shirt to be like, look, you know, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. But it can be a big switch too. And you move into kind of an active phase of heading towards, you know, what's next. Mm-hmm. And then the last phase post push is called anticipating the great return or not. And instead of saying it's return to work, which there are so many awesome resources about return to work. There are awesome resources about being during pregnant. But for me, it's while you're physically still pregnant at work, what things can you anticipate? And they might totally change, but doing a walkthrough of resources or asking for a review, doing that ahead of time can also really help with the headspace Mm. upon anticipating return or not. And both are great. You know, I recognize that all women work, whether they're working in a place of work or virtually, or they're working in the home. And so I think for me, it was important to have all five of these phases work together. And the thresholds are delineated by your decisions, not by like, okay, at this number of weeks, you know, someone telling you like, oh, we normally tell work at a specific time. What if you need to tell them sooner because you have a concern or because you want to, or what if you, it's on the other side and you're just not ready yet, or you don't have to. So many, Mm -hmm. so many women that I interviewed during the pandemic were saying like, there was no reason there was like, you couldn't see it, you know, on the other side. Yeah. So yeah, the phases for me are kind of how to apply the principles in a little bit more of the tangible. So the first part is a little bit more intellectual and the second part is some ways to support women during those specific time points. To think about the fact that we're making room for motherhood in like the BTTC phase, like we're just getting into our careers and maybe even making career choices along the lines of family, like that really struck me because I don't know that I ever would have like thought that or said that out loud. And I'm of the type that I told my partner, like, and there's no housewife here. There's no, like, maybe there's children, maybe there's not, like, there's no guarantees, you know? And so I wasn't maybe one to romanticize or daydream about becoming a mom where I know so many of my friends had that real drive for that. So hearing that and reading that was like, huh, like this goes real, real deep for a lot of people, right? Yeah. And then I think about moving through the other phases, like the trying to conceive and the hush time. And I think about, I worked in a group private practice and pretty much all of the therapists are women and they're all of childbearing years. So we all have had many, many experiences together, I guess, kind of back in the day now, nearly 10 years ago. And having this hush period, because it felt like it's what we should do, for I don't know what reason, but then experiencing a loss. A good friend of mine experienced a loss at 16 weeks with twins, and she had announced the pregnancy at that time, but even if she hadn't, there was no hiding the turmoil that she was going through, right? And so there's something here about this hush period that keeps us very isolated and alone in our experience if we feel like we want to tell others and we want 
you know, them to know what's going on in our life and we feel like we can't for whatever reason. It's a little bit of like a torture chamber to be in really where we just want to be seen for the experience that we're going through, either exciting and have people share in our joy or the grief or the pain that we're experiencing as well. I think it's such a push and pull because it's so private and feels so personal. And, you know, personally, I remember like struggling with how vulnerable did I want to be, you know, and even between my children had a miscarriage and actually having a son and having a husband. And I I felt a lot of guilt for also feeling so sad, you know, Mm, and, and that was a really tough feeling too, you know, and hiding that. And to your earlier point, like it had an effect on my work, but I didn't really want to say that's why. Yeah. And that was really difficult. Mm -hmm. So how can we have those conversations also without having to share all of that too? So, you know, I try in the book to give some different ways to approach it because just because something happens to one of us doesn't mean that we have any clue how that could feel to someone else. Or even if something's very common, unfortunately, when it happens to you, it still can rock you. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think about my friend and she wanted to be able to have some open dialogue and felt like it was something that felt invisible. But to her, it was not invisible. It was very present, right? Right. And then I had had a miscarriage between my second and my third child. And I maybe semi-denied that that pregnancy, that third pregnancy was happening after the miscarriage for probably the entire first trimester. Like not complete and total denial, but like I'll believe this when we're further along because I won't be duped again, you know? Totally. Kind of feeling. So I really became a lot more locked down than I typically would have. Mm -hmm. So my reaction in those moments was to actually not share as much as maybe I would have before because I didn't want to have to have the hard conversations that maybe I wasn't ready for. So yeah, each person's needs are different. But I think that, I don't know, at the end of the day, there should be a an ability to be how we would like to in the workplace, right? To be able to bring our full selves, you know, as we were saying, to work and be open about that if we choose to be. And it's with the right people. You know, often I use kind of the the who, what, when, where, why. So who do you need to share? By the way, good things too, but yeah. who do I need to share this with? You know, what do I want to share? It can be I'm going through something personal and really big, or it can be I suffered a loss, you know, and you can kind of judge each question. When do you want to tell them? Is it an emergency or is it something like you have a regular conversation that you want to include that and say, like, just want to tell you this is also going on? It can help to kind of make it a little bit more comfortable. And then why? You know, why am I telling you? Because this is really tough and I need your support or because right now I'm I need specific help on this project. You know, maybe there's other reasons. But for me, I kind of in those difficult moments go to, okay, who Is it an ally? Is it a friend? Sometimes you just need a friend. Yeah. (laughs) But sometimes you also need it to be, you know, your HR, your manager, you have to think about who do you need and what do you need and why. And it can be really helpful to structure it a little bit. Yeah. And even in the preparedness, like the offboarding that you talk about in the book and putting some order to that transition a little bit as you're leaving work for some of the practical pieces, even with team members or your employer. And I feel like the way of being more transparent about that this happens very frequently, in fact, and offboarding and onboarding, like you're not doing them a favor. They're not doing you a favor. You're just doing something that's normal and you're setting you both up for success. 
you know, taking some pressure off of the woman going through it, but also off of the team, because I think many of us have been in both positions. So it's the recognition of that. And it's exactly as we were saying before, like the reshuffling of the priorities. Okay, you know, I can't do this. This needs to be done by someone else or this one. It's just not going to happen. And that's, I think, a really important way to make it all normalized. So the, the really tough pieces, but also just this is going to continue to happen. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about it. Yeah. And in doing so, as you said before, gives permission and creates an environment where others feel that they can do the same. Thank you for this book. Congratulations on your birth of your book baby into the world. (laughs) Will help so many people as they navigate this experience, whether for a first time or second time. However, where can people find Carrie Strong? Where can they look for your book? You can visit the Carrie Strong Project website and see many different places where you can purchase the book, including on Amazon. And I'm just really excited for people to read it. And hopefully it gives them a moment of support or, you know, when it all feels too much, as they say in the introduction, something to throw at the wall. (laughs) But, uh, you know, you can do it all, not at the same time and not alone. And so, you know, thank you, Erica and your team at MomWell for creating this safe space community support, you know, mental health, literacy, but it's so important and powerful. And just thank you so much. This is how we flip the script is that we have these ongoing conversations with amazing women like you. So thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thanks for being here. I enjoyed that conversation with Stephanie so much. And I love when I meet new people that I just vibe with and really get along with. Having this conversation brought up some really vivid and even emotional memories that I had about having to have these emotionally charged, tough conversations at work. It's an unexpected challenge that we face early on on who to tell and when to tell them and how to position that conversation. So if you're in this stage of life or you're contemplating having another baby, you'll really enjoy Stephanie's book on how to navigate pregnancy and work. And if you're on leave and preparing to reintegrate back into work or are looking for daycare and managing that transition, anything to do with that transition from leave back to work and to childcare, we've got a new back to work bundle that includes three mini courses, or you can buy them each separately to learn more about how to make your adjustment back to work a little bit more smooth. Head to momwell.com slash shop. That's momwell.com slash shop. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I am being joined by Katie Ferraro, founder of Baby Led Wean Team, to discuss anxiety around starting solids and baby led weaning. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, for the girls who want more. 
Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.